give them space if they don't want to talk about it, but don't forget about them. You know, send a little text message. I'm thinking about you. I'm here. If you want to do something, you don't need to reply to this. So it's just, you know, you don't have to fix them. You don't have to give advice. I mean, if they ask you something, like maybe share, but all you have to really do is say, I'm sorry, and I'm here for you. Welcome to the Big Kid Problems podcast, based on the comedic social channel all about not wanting to be an adult. I'm your host, Sarah Merrill, the writer, creator, and pretty normal human behind the popular Instagram, Twitter, blog, and now podcast, Big Kid Problems. So I've spent the last almost decade making jokes about navigating the adult world. And as I've gotten older, I've realized that no matter what your age is, we all have big kid problems. We're all just trying to figure it out. So thank you so much for joining me as we navigate adulthood together. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another week and another episode of the Big Kid Problems podcast. For those of you new here, I'm your host, Sarah Merrill Hall. I'm the voice and personality behind the comical Big Kid Problems Instagram, Twitter, blog, and obviously this show. Everyone else, welcome back. Oh man, do we have a good episode for you today. We are covering a topic that has been largely requested, especially ever since I announced I was pregnant back in November. I have gotten lots of requests asking to talk about the flip side to pregnancy, and that is fertility issues. I know it can be a tough topic to chat about, but it is such an important one and something that is really good for this audience to know about considering I think most of us are right in our reproductive window, like right in that 20s to 30s sweet spot. I know when I first started trying to get pregnant, like I was coming in totally blind to our fertility. Like I remember talking to Brandon when we were starting to talk about trying. And one of the big reasons I wanted to get started so quickly after our wedding was fear. I was like, this could take two months or this could take two years. Like we really don't know. And that's what I think is so fucked up about this topic. Like we learn so much in school. We prepare for so many things in adulthood. But fertility is really this big question mark that many of us don't even really think about until we're ready to start having kids. And I mean, that timeline, like feeling like we're ready to start having kids seems to be getting later and later in life, which can have its own fertility consequences. So there's a lot I think we need to learn about when it comes to this stuff, which is why I am so excited to bring in our guest this week. I wanted to find somebody who was like a true expert, somebody who was very knowledgeable on this topic, who, you know, not just an influencer in fertility, but somebody who went to school and learned all of the real shit when it comes to this stuff. And that's why I am so honored to have on Dr. Laura Shaheen. She is a double board certified reproductive endocrinologist, best-selling author, and associate clinical professor at the University of Washington. So needless to say, she knows her shit. And what's so cool about Dr. Shaheen too is she's not just a reproductive expert that can give us like cut and dry facts. She has also experienced fertility issues firsthand and can speak to the emotional toll that this leads to as well. 
We're going to talk about things she wants all of us to know about fertility, whether you're actively trying to have kids or have no idea if you even want them at all. We'll talk fertility treatments, egg freezing. We're even going to talk about miscarriages in this episode, which I can tell you as somebody in their 30s, it is way, way more common than I ever thought. And these are just big, big kid problems we really need to be talking about. I know I learned so much in this episode. Dr. Shaheen is an incredible guest and just so knowledgeable. I'm really excited to have her on the show and think this is just such an important episode. So with that, I say we jump right into it, guys. Get comfy and we will be right back. anyone that's struggling with focus, energy, or motivation, hi, um, I can relate, but it's not you, it's your brain. Thesis helps you take control of your mind to create habits that last and get a little help if you need a boost. Thesis makes personalized supplement formulas that are specifically designed to boost cognitive function. It's based in the science of nootropics, which are natural and powerful ingredients. Think like caffeine, ginseng, and B12 that increase productivity, focus, energy, and mental clarity. Yes, please. Nootropics can help you feel energized without the crash, cut through brain fog to think clearly, or get a little help with motivation to find your flow. Right now, take their three-minute online quiz and Thesis will recommend high-quality nootropic formulas that are unique to you and your goals. Over 60,000 entrepreneurs, lawyers, engineers, busy professionals, and parents have used Thesis to get better results at work and home. So just imagine what you could do with Thesis. Right now, Thesis is offering our listeners 10% off your first starter kit when you visit takethesis.com slash BKP. Go to takethesis.com slash BKP to take this quiz and discover your unique nootropic combination and save 10% on your first starter kit. That's takethesis.com slash BKP. And make sure to use our URL to let them know I sent you. All right, guys, welcome back to the Big Kid Problems podcast. I am here with Dr. Laura Shaheen. She is a double board certified reproductive endocrinologist, best-selling author, and associate clinical professor at the University of Washington. Damn, girl, welcome to the show. <laughs> Been in school for a long time. That's <laughs> yeah. it. Well, you know what is so cool? I was so excited to bring you on to the show today and just chat with you about all things fertility, infertility, all this stuff. Um, but what is so cool about you and your story, and I'm hoping you can share a little bit with us, um, is that not only are you a fertility doctor, but you've actually been a fertility patient as well. Can you, yeah. Can you give yep. us a little background on you and, and maybe a little bit about your fertility journey? Absolutely. So, um, so to be a fertility specialist or a reproductive endocrinologist, you have to do a lot of schooling. And um, that includes like four years of OBGYN residency and then three years of fellowship and infertility at Stanford. And so I put off my family. I've been with my husband forever. We met the first day of college and been married for over 20 years, but it's just really hard to even conceptualize you know, starting a family in the middle of your career. And um, 
you might be surprised by this, but it's one in eight people in the general population that has infertility. But for physicians, it's actually one in four. So um, even though when I was ready to start trying and it didn't happen easily, I was totally shocked. I now realize that actually it's more normal than I thought. And I was thinking like, God, didn't I go to school to learn how to be a fertility doctor? <laughs> Shouldn't I know how this works? And so, um, um, I mean, I'm happy to share. I just like wasn't getting periods and I figured out it was a little bit of a hormone imbalance and prolactin. I was able to um, fix that with a little bit of medication. Um, I was trying to self-treat because that's what we do. I'm typically type A. And my co-resident was just like, will you get some labs checked? Come on. And I was like, okay, fine. And so my first, I was able to conceive after I figured that out. And then um, when I was ready to add to my family, I was a few years older. And um, and I was like, well, I got this. I know what the issue is. So I just started up my little medication and it just still was not happening, still not happening. And um, IVF and a few transfers later, I mean, I'm so fortunate to have the two kids that I have. Um, I would not wish infertility on anyone. But for me, it was very humbling, um, very challenging. And um, I think that I am, I personally am a better doctor because mm. of it. Um, and so again, I'm not glad that it happened, but I think I learned from the experience. And um, I think that that's one of the reasons I advocate so much for education. And I'm so active on social media and kind of get out there because I'm trying to kind of provide the information that I wish I had. Yeah, that's huge. Um, I'm interested when you when you first realized that you had some fertility issues. Was it because you had started trying to conceive and were having trouble, or it was because you were missing periods? Yeah, well, I had an IUD and I took it out. It's really pretty normal for people to stop having periods if you have an IUD and for a couple of years, depending on which kind you have. But like the hormonal ones or Moreno, um, it's it's kind of actually a side benefit. I was like, this is great. I don't have to have a period. So when I took it out, I was like, oh my gosh, I, you know, I must have done something to my uterus. Like I, this is, you know, and you just go to this really negative place, even though you're like, well, you know, my academic side is like, well, the studies show that it doesn't affect your fertility, but it turns out I just wasn't mm. ovulating. So if you, if you aren't ovulating, it's, it's, you, you don't get a period. Like it's absolutely amazing that anybody has a period once a month. If you think about the communication that has to happen, I will not bore you or draw you a diagram, but like between your pituitary gland and your ovaries and your uterus and like it's a miracle anybody has a regular period. And so when you, it, when you don't, you should figure out mm. why and then address it. And then that's what happened that first time around. I figured it out and yeah. it worked yeah, out. That's actually, that's, that's really good to know for anybody listening who may not be getting a, a super regular period. That was one of the things that like kind of freaked me out when it came to fertility is just like, I didn't know if there was any signs to look out for or anything. Like I, I just knew... Um, you know, when my husband and I wanted to start trying, like I had asked doctors and stuff beforehand, like, should, do I need to know anything about my fertility? Like, what if I'm infertile? And they're like, well, you won't know if you're infertile until you've been trying for a year and nothing's happening. And I didn't know when we first started trying, I'm like, this could take two months. This could take two years, you know? So like my reaction was just like, I need to start trying right away. 
because if this is on the latter side, like I'm, I'm, you know, in my mid thirties and I didn't want it to get too, too late and keep pushing the can down the road and get to a situation where like my age was becoming a factor. Um, but I was curious, like, is there, is there things to look out for? Like any, any tests you would recommend to kind of get a better hold and understanding of your fertility before you're ready, before you're ready um, to start actually trying? Right. I mean, yes and no, because um, I think the best advice is it's never too soon to see a fertility specialist and kind of get checked out. But the test that you want, like, is not out there. The test you want is like, how do I know when all of a sudden I can't get pregnant? And, you know, we're, we're trying to do that with some of these at home, you know, hormone tests, but it's just, it's not, it's not perfect. You have to take the whole patient into consideration age, um, health status, family goals. You know, you can't just do an at-home blood test and say, okay, I'm fertile. Um, and, and I do really want to encourage people to advocate for their care and ask questions and get testing sooner rather than later. The first guest I had on my podcast, um, Baby or Bust, is Karen Jeffries from Hilariously Infertile. She is absolutely fantastic and she is a fierce fertility advocate in a completely hilarious way. Um, but she she's really intelligent. She is a school teacher and she stopped contraception and didn't get a period for years. She was convinced she was mm. pregnant um, and didn't go see someone and then finally did. And they're like, oh my gosh, you're 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 not pregnant, you're not ovulating, you have PCOS. We need to fix that issue. And then she got pregnant, you know, pretty quickly. Um, but it's like she should have gone to see someone when she wasn't getting a period because you know she would have figured that out sooner and have been a lot less frustrated. So it's just never too soon. If you you know have a history of being diagnosed with PCOS in your teens, if, if you know that you have endometriosis, if you're um, you have chronic illness, you're taking medication, something like that, something that might impact your fertility. If you you know if your partners you know, mom says, oh yeah, he had some, you know, surgery when he was a baby down there, get a semen analysis, you know, like all these things kind of come up when I'm, you know, talking to patients and I'm like, just, just get a checkup. I'm a big believer that health is wealth, which is why I love taking athletic greens literally every day. We go through so much Athletic Greens in this house. Both me and Brandon are obsessed with it. With just one scoop of Athletic Greens, we're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help us start the day right. This special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, focus, aging. I mean, all the things. It is so good for your body. And two areas I really feel the biggest difference in are energy and digestion. I mean, let me tell you, this stuff works wonders. I even bring it with me when I travel. I like never want to go a day without it. Athletic Greens was created when the founder experienced a ton of gut health issues and ended up in a complicated supplement routine to recover. And it cost him about $100 a day. So he created Athletic Greens, which is just a much more affordable option. You're investing in your health for less than $3 a day. Right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. It's just one scoop in a cup of water every day. That's it. 
No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash BKP. Again, that is athleticgreens.com slash BKP to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. You bring up a good point about like, it's not even just the the female fertility, especially like if you're married or, you know, you want to have a baby with like a specific partner, their fertility matters too. And that was a conversation um, Brandon and I had like before we got married, because we had been together for years and years and years. I won't get like too into our sex life, but like basically like we were not that careful. Like we were doing the pull and pray method for like seven years to a point where I was like, maybe something's wrong with one of us, you know? Um, yeah. and it was, yep. it, it was tough. Like we both were like, we definitely need to get our fertility checked. And then like two years would go by and neither one of us had done it. Yeah. It's so easy to just kind of, cause you, you should get that checkup, but you can feel anxiety if they do find something and you can feel anxiety that they're not going to mm-hmm. find anything. So it's just like you have to get over that hump and and get the testing done. And if someone, if a couple uh, who has eggs and sperm, if if there's one test to do, do a semen analysis. Mm. It's the least expensive, least invasive, <laughs> um, and it's the you know thirty to forty percent of the time you find a male factor. So do not let your partner, if he's got sperm, do not let him say, oh, I'm fine. Like I caused a pregnancy in the past or I don't have any issues with, you know, completing intercourse or, you know, I'm, my boys are fine. (laughs) Get a semen analysis. Quick question for a semen analysis. Do you have to go to a doctor or is, are there like at home tests just cause I'm clueless? You know, there are at home tests. I, um, I don't know the validity of the at home tests. I'm sure they're fine. And they can at least say like, yes, there Mm -hmm. is sperm because there are, times where people have no symptoms whatsoever. Um, and you know, they, you look under the microscope and there's absolutely no sperm. You can have an ejaculate, um, and stuff comes out, but if you don't look, you don't actually know that there's sperm or not. And so that I think might be like a, um, you know, a, a way to sort of get like a little sort of window into, okay, like, all right, we've got some sperm, but I wouldn't, I mean, if you're still trying and it's been, six months or you're at the point you're going to see a fertility doctor, get one at a, a clinic, mm. like a lab to kind of get more detailed yeah, results. That's a, that's a really good tip um, for people to know. I, I want to touch on this quickly. And I know that this could be a completely separate podcast episode. So um, like, we'll just, we'll just like lightly dance around the topic, but you brought up endometriosis and PCOS as two, um, you know, conditions that I think cause a lot of infertility. Um, can you tell us like a little bit of maybe some warning signs that you could be, that you may have one of these? Um, actually I was on my honeymoon and I used to like always post these pictures, like just kind of making fun of myself of like, I used, I get really, really bloated. Like, especially when I'm traveling, like I, I look six, to seven months pregnant after like two weeks of traveling and people kept writing into me 
girl, like you need to get checked. Like that looks like an endo belly. Like I have endometriosis. Like you, like that's one of the symptoms. So I'm just kind of curious, like if there's anything, like any red flags that would maybe make somebody uh, want to go get checked for either of those. Yeah, cool. Well, I think you are teaching me something because I've never heard anybody say that term <laughs> endobelly. So I'm going to go look that up. Maybe I'm like um, way off. Like and, Instagram, you know, like I, no. who knows the validity, but it's, it was enough to scare me. I was like, oh my God. Yeah. Do, do you have endometriosis? No, I do not know? that I know of, but yeah. You know. Yeah. No, just, I'm totally, listen, I learn from my patients. I learn, you know, I learn from Instagram too. Like I don't want to miss anything, but typically endometriosis um, will present with really painful periods, um, pain with intercourse, um, and it can be associated with difficulty getting pregnant. Not everybody with endometriosis will have fertility issues, but it's something that I think about with every patient that I talk to. And, um, you know, it's so hard because so many women have come to me, you know, the average time it takes to have symptoms and to get diagnosed with endometriosis is eight freaking years. And it's because people do not listen to people with ovaries, you know? And so people will say to me, you know, um, yeah, I kept telling all my doctors I was having painful periods, like to the point where I was missing work, I was missing school, I was throwing up, I'm having like crazy diarrhea when I have my period. And they're just saying, yeah, that's normal. Periods suck, you know? And it's like, no, 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 that is not normal. Yes, it's okay to have a little cramps, take your, you know, Motrin, but you shouldn't be popping you know, bottles of Motrin a couple times a day, you know? So if you are having those type of symptoms, you keep talking to people until somebody listens to you. PCOS is, um, it's the most common cause of um, irregular or unpredictable menstrual cycles. Um, It impacts one in 10 reproductive age women. So it's super common. And um, most often people find out that they have PCOS when they're trying to conceive because that's when they really start paying attention to their periods. Or like a very typical story is, oh yeah, I had kind of irregular periods when I was in my teens. My physician just put me on pills and it regulated my cycles. It cleared up my acne. Um, So I love my pills because um, it evens out the male and female hormones and a tendency towards male hormones has more acne, extra hair growth, like thick mustache and stuff. And so... um, and then they're like, well, I stopped my pill when I'm ready to get pregnant. And now I'm not mm. getting my period. And people will be like, oh, well, you know, the, the pills must have caused my PCOS. Nope. The pills didn't cause it. The pills just sort of hid the symptoms. Um, and now that you're trying, you're not ovulating. So it's kind of, sometimes people figure these things out when they're trying to get pregnant, but it could have been there mm. for a while. That's, that's um, you bring up like such an interesting uh a piece of information because this was something like I talked to a lot of my girlfriends about when we were, you know, I have had a couple friends who were starting to try to get pregnant. And that was like a that's a concern I've heard a lot is um women who will be like, I've been on the pill for so long. I wonder if that's going to affect my ability to conceive. So it's not necessarily the pill, but the pill could have been masking some of these symptoms. Right, right. And I mean, there are so many pros and cons with birth control pills and people get really, you know, amped up about it. And, um, you know, I don't think that everybody should be on the birth control pill. I think it can really be helpful for some people. I mean, if you are really not having periods with PCOS, 
you know, your endometrial lining can build up, get thick, and it can turn into atypical cells and become endometrial cancer. So having three or four periods a year actually is protective mm. for that person's uterus. Um, endometriosis, actually, you know, the dominant hormone in birth control pills is progesterone. And progesterone actually quiets endometriosis. So a lot of people will say, oh my gosh, I, am, I can actually not miss work and not miss school when I'm on birth control pills because of my endometriosis. So there are really beneficial things, but I think it gets a really bad rap because a lot of people have side effects with it. They have mood swings, they um, you know, have depression, they, you know, feel bad, they have nausea. I mean, and then they go to the doctor who prescribes it and they're just like, oh, there aren't any side effects with birth control pills. It's all in your head. You know, so women can sometimes kind of get stuck in the middle of this and it's like, hey, there are good reasons to use it and and listen to people if they're having issues and find something that's yeah. right for oh them. Oh my God. This is so refreshing to hear a doctor say this. Like, honestly, like <laughs> I, I, I remember trying to be on birth control for years and having horrible, horrible, horrible side effects and not really like feeling validated for any of them. So I just stopped taking them, you know, and, and it's, it's nice to hear that. <laughs> Yeah. Like maybe it's not the right thing. Yeah. You're yeah. not alone. I mean, I finished medical school in 2002. And I mean, I truly was taught that birth control pills are natural and that people don't get side mm -hmm. effects with them. And I personally took birth control pills for a long time and I didn't. Okay. And so I was like, well, yeah, I'm hearing this from academics and I personally was fine with them. So, okay. Um, and then you know, I was taught like, oh, if someone has PCOS, if they're trying to get pregnant, just help them ovulate, get them pregnant. If they're not trying to get pregnant, just put them on the pills. End of story. Don't talk to them about their side effects. Like don't talk about alternatives if they have problems. Like, you know, a lot of, of doctors really just haven't been taught. And I think it's better now, um, but it, um, you know, there's a real lack of, of, at least for old people like me, there's a real lack of that kind of compassionate piece of it. And I mean, I got like a 15 minute lecture on PCOS in medical school and it impacts That's one in so 10 nice. women. You know, it's, again, I hope it's better now, but it's just, um, yeah, it's really, it's an issue. It's a lack of education. We sure as hell don't learn about reproduction in health class. We learn about mm -hmm. condoms fitting over bananas and you know, we are taught that it's so easy to get pregnant. We have to be in fear of that, but they don't finish the rest of the story. So true. Know? So true. When I, when we first started <laughs> trying, I kept like laughing about that. I'm like, I spent so much time trying not to get pregnant. And now that I'm trying to get pregnant, there's all this information that I'm like, whoa, I feel really behind. I feel really uneducated in this. Yeah. Um, and I wish that yeah. that was more of a, thing that we we learned about. There's so many things I wish we, we learned yeah. about in school rather than like the Pythagorean theorem. Um, I want to, <laughs> I, I want to get into like actual infertility, but before we even get there, um, I want to ask a little bit about some precautionary things, um, like freezing your eggs. I know you, like, I like, like in your individual story, you talked about how, you know, you were in school, you were very career oriented. I feel like a lot of people listening to this podcast and a lot of people, and especially my generation, like we, we relate to this, you know, like I, 
I especially like I was not ready to have kids in my 20s. I'm barely I'm I'm pretty much not ready now and I'm in my third trimester. <laughs> um <laughs> but you know for people who want to put off um conceiving what are some of the things to keep in mind when it actually comes to age? Because I know that's something we, we have to talk about. And then also like, what are your recommendations around egg freezing? Absolutely. So big picture, um, as eggs and sperm age, fewer of them are able to turn into babies just because, and it's more, um, uh, dramatic with eggs and with sperm because we're born with the same eggs we're going to have our whole life. And they're literally frozen in a genetic state. I will not draw a diagram, but do you remember chromosomes from mm. biology? So we're literally, the eggs are frozen with two copies of each chromosome. It's when we ovulate, whether we're 25 or 35, that the eggs have to go through all that genetic work and like get rid of a chromosome. And along comes the sperm and they fertilize. Okay. And so we all know that as we age, it takes longer to get pregnant there's a higher chance of miscarriage and there's a higher chance of like down syndrome. And I don't bring that up to make you afraid. It's just that most people are like, oh yeah, down syndrome is a chromosome issue. And I know I have a higher risk of that as I age. Well, all of this is related. So the longer, I mean, what cells in your body work like they did when you were 20? Like, hello, <laughs> hangover. Like, so it's it's not that you can't get pregnant when you're 40. It's just that it's it's a lower chance because you're only ovulating one egg each month. And when you're 40, the majority of the eggs aren't going to do that genetic work right and not going to be mm-hmm. a baby. And so, and it's less dramatic with sperm because they ejaculate millions and millions of them and they you know, there's a selection process and every egg is going to try to get fertilized, but they only kind of allow in like typically good sperm. Um, but there is an age factor with men. So don't forget about that. Um, and so just if you get that concept, you know, it, it makes sense to freeze your eggs when they're younger so that you can use them later because... And before we really had egg freezing, and quite honestly, it wasn't even accepted by ASRM, the American Society of Reproductive Medicine, as non-experimental until 2012. So the first IVF baby is over 40, but egg freezing has really not been a part of... I know we all talk about it, but it hasn't really been a technology for that long. And um, you know, so women would be trying to conceive in their 40s and... If it didn't work, they would they use donor egg. A large part of my practice is helping people conceive with donor eggs because you cannot fix eggs. You can't make them do that genetic work. And so very often people in their mid-40s and 50s, when they're pregnant and on the cover of People Magazine and Us Weekly, they aren't my patients. But probably, they yes, they did IVF and that's what the article says, but really we weren't mm. freezing eggs 20, 30 years ago. So probably, you know, it's probably a donor mm. egg. Right. And so you think about egg freezing as not an insurance policy because an insurance policy, you're guaranteed mm-hmm. a payout. Mm-hmm. Right. And egg freezing, it's not a guarantee, but it's an investment in yourself. And you could be donating to your future self if in the future you're trying to conceive and it's not happening right. easily. Because fertility is wasted on 25 year olds. <laughs> Seriously. 
You guys know I'm pregnant now, but after this baby's born, when I'm able to, I will be drinking for the first time as a mom this year. That means I need to be prepared and that I'll have no time to have a rough morning after drinking. There's no laying in bed all day aloud after this. That's why I swear by morning recovery by more labs, the drink for when you drink. Just take one bottle while drinking and feel better the next day or your money back. It's the perfect solution for those who want to enjoy alcohol but still need to be on their A game the next morning. So how does it work? Morning Recovery uses a patent-pending, plant-derived superhero formula that helps speed up the breakdown of alcohol-induced toxins. So you wake up feeling, you know, like you're 21 again. Morning Recovery also uses a proprietary blend of electrolytes and vitamins to rehydrate and restore lost nutrients. It's the smart way to drink every time you drink. So don't let rough mornings after drinking dampen the next day. Drink smarter with morning recovery at morelabs.com slash big kid. Oh, and use code big kid for 20% off your order. That's morelabs.com slash big kid and use that code big kid for 20% off. Talking about like specific ages, when do you think, because I have friends that are like coming up on 40 that are debating getting their eggs frozen. And like, if you could shake a patient, like when would you tell them to get their eggs frozen? 33 to 36, 37. Because, um, I mean, part of me is like, we should get it for a college graduation (laughs) present. Because I'm, I mean, donors are age 21 to 29. Like that's when you've got the best eggs. Um, And... So the earlier, you know, the younger, it's a balance. The younger you do it, the better the eggs are, but the less likely you're actually going to have to use them. Because when you're younger, you've got like a pretty long fertile window ahead of you. And, you know, even if you haven't met someone at 25, you know, there's a pretty good chance over the next 10 years, you might Mm -hmm. meet someone, you know? Um, And then unfortunately, if you're 40... Um, it doesn't mean you can't freeze your eggs. It's just that you're probably going to have to freeze a lot of eggs in order to really have a good chance of having a family later. Because again, most of the eggs aren't able to do that genetic work. Mm. So, you know, someone who's 25 could freeze like 10 eggs and it might take a 40 year old 20 or 30 eggs to have the same chances of success. And, um, and also, as you age, typically there are fewer eggs that are up for grabs each month. So someone that's 40 might have to do like two, three, four egg mm-hmm. retrievals, which is a lot of resources, not only financial, but time. And, and so truly, the right answer is medically and scientifically for the egg quality, the earlier, the better for cost-effective analysis and, you know, having to pay for storage for years. And are you actually going to use the eggs probably in your kind of thirties, but in the mid to lower. Yeah. All possible. I mean, that's, that's really good to know. And we could do another entire episode on egg freezing, <laughs> but I love, I know I'm like, you, you probably wanted no, like a short no. answer. And I'm like, Oh, there is no short answer. Yeah. No, fertility. this is like all really, really good information. And at least enough to get people to like, have the wheels start turning and, and, you know, understand like where they, where they're at and if they want more information on this. Um, 
I do want to get into a little bit of infertility because I get a lot of messages about this. This has been a widely requested topic, um, you know, of women who find themselves after trying and trying and trying and trying, still getting those negative, uh, you know, pregnancy tests at home. And I'd love to kind of hear, you know, I, I, I feel like, you know, obviously my heart goes out to anybody who's like getting disappointed over and over again. Realistically, like, what does it look like? What are, what are the things that you can do if you are potentially having some fertility issues? Like what's our game plan? Yeah. Well, I think it's important to realize that, you know, not everybody gets pregnant every time they ovulate. I mean, the people that do talk the loudest (laughs) and tell us every, tell all of us infertile people that they did. But I'm guilty, um, you know, if you're <laughs> not intentionally, <laughs> but like I just got pregnant and like shared it and and people let me know, like, yeah, look, not everybody gets pregnant Aww. as fast as you did. So shut up. <laughs> oh, yeah, that I get you. OK, but it's OK because it is very exciting. Um, but in general, if you know, in one cycle with one egg and one sperm and like you have intercourse at the right time. It's probably about in general, like a 20, 25% chance of getting pregnant. If you're kind of in your 20s or 30s, it really drops down to closer to like five, maybe 10% as you get closer and closer to 40. So um, it's just not surprising that it takes more than one month. Um, in general, 85% of people will conceive with regular menstrual cycles within the first year. And so that's where you were told, oh, you shouldn't worry about testing and stuff like that until it's been a year because the majority of people will conceive without doing a single test or, you know, kind of doing treatment. But if you fall into that 15%, that's, you know, typically when you start doing testing. And the recommendation is if if the female partner is 35 years or older, you should really start doing testing after six months of trying because you just don't want to miss something like blocked fallopian tubes or low sperm count or something like that in the couple when just it is probably going to take a little bit longer. So um, just having those realistic expectations are really important. Learning about your cycle is really important because we sure as heck didn't learn about it in high school. So understanding that if you are not having a regular predictable monthly menstrual cycle, you are probably not ovulating on a regular basis. And it's really hard to time intercourse when you don't have any idea when you're ovulating. So starting to track your cycles and learning about it. Um, You're fertile for six days before ovulation. I mean, of course, people will say, oh, I got pregnant on my period or, you know, like people will talk all about that stuff. But um, but in general, you know, the, the sperm can hang around for, you know, a couple of days after intercourse, swimming around in the reproductive tract looking for eggs. And, um, and so it can be there for a little while. So having intercourse about two or three times in that fertile window in the middle of your cycle will improve odds. And, um, you know, the healthier you are, the more fertile you are. So you kind of ask like, what can you do? Well, you can learn about your cycle, try and time things well. You know, you know, if you're having issues, get an evaluation sooner and then just, you know, all the things, you know, eat well, get your sleep, take care of your mental health, Um, you know, it, I'm very cautious when I talk to my patients about lifestyle changes and, um, and give strict recommendations because everybody wants that answer. Dr. Sheen, tell me what diet to do. 
tell me, you know, how much exercise I should do because I'm going to do whatever you say because you, you know, you mm-hmm. know this. And I, I get it, but um, it can turn into a really negative spiral because if you make it about restriction, like, oh, the first half of my cycle, I'm going to do, you know, orange theory. And then the next, and then after ovulation, I'm not going to do anything. I'm just going to lie on the couch for two weeks, you know, and um, I'm, you know, I'm going to binge drink during my period because I'm so sad. You know, they got a period and that's okay to be sad. And then, you know, after ovulation, I'm just not going to have any alcohol whatsoever. There's got to be some moderation and you got to have some joy in your life because if you start like taking things away, um, it just can get into a real cycle of restriction and a really negative place and some self-blame. So you got to be really, really careful about perfection is 80%. That's a Chinese proverb. And it's like, if you can eat well and take care of yourself 80% of the time, you are doing Hmm. great. But you get that pint of ice cream every once in a while, you have that glass of wine every once in a while and you still Mm. live your life. Yeah. That was, that was actually a question I was going to ask you. Um, Cause I've, I've gotten that question. People ask me if I stopped drinking when I was trying to conceive and I didn't, (laughs) um, but can alcohol play a factor in, in, in helping you or not helping you conceive? Yeah. So I, again, I know you want a short answer, but there's, you know, so you can find an article out of France. It says, if you drink more, you are more fertile. (laughs) I'm going to subscribe to that. Of course Done. You can. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. But um, so um, I think a little bit every once in a while is okay, um, but we shouldn't drink every day um, for a bunch of different reasons. It absolutely disrupts our sleep. Um, it um, increases anxiety. And quite honestly, I talk to my patients a lot about endocrine disruptors and toxins and the you know wine industry is not very well regulated. You think about pesticides that are kind of on the grapes, and we're literally drinking them. And um, a lot of um, chemicals are added to wine and beer to make them look a certain way or taste a certain way. And so um, you know, it's just everything in moderation. You know, um, don't. Com- I mean, it's such a part of celebration or relaxing a little bit, but it should just not be a part of our everyday life and and not mm, too much. Okay. That's that's good to know. Um, how about stress? Because I know you mentioned that that like a lot of these factors can, especially if you're trying to restrict and do that, you can kind of make yourself a little bit crazy. Just stress, like if you're, especially if you've had like let's say eight nine of these months go by and you're seeing that negative pregnancy test come, you know. I can imagine that the process starts to become stressful. Do you have any... Infertility? Yeah. No, I was going to ask if you had any thoughts around that. So maybe some ways to like find the joy or or not stress about it so much. I know that's probably way easier said than done. Yes. Well, stress and infertility are intimately related. And it's a little bit of a chicken or the egg kind of thing. Um, It is very stressful just to not have your family when you want your family and you kind of feel like time is going by and there's a lot of mental gymnastics and emotional roller coaster ride that comes along with it and how can stress and your body you know not be related but yet people can get pregnant in the middle of war and famine and incredible stressful events so it's not black or white And what I try to focus on for my patients is not eliminating stress, 
but we all should learn how to manage it. And so it takes work, whether it's breathing exercises, there's nothing like one-on-one therapy, um, you know, whether it's mindfulness, meditation, gratitude, walking every day, you know, healthy ways to manage stress. Um, I often use the example of like two people standing at a bus stop and they both step out into the road and they almost get hit by a bus. The person, they're both, their cortisol levels are going to shoot up. Their heart is going to race. They are in fight or flight mode. Constantly being at that level of stress will throw off your hormones and it'll throw off ovulation, et cetera. Um, But the person who has done the work on breathing or whatever to recover from a stressful event, they're going to be in that state a lot shorter Mm -hmm. amount of time. And the person that has never worked on that kind of stuff is going to just be in that fight or flight mode for a lot longer. And so they both had the same stressful event, but one person is going to recover a lot sooner. I love the way you just described that. And and, and guys listening, mm. I mean, th- that has been like a lifelong journey for me personally, because I am that person who like almost gets hit by the bus and is at a level 10 anxiety for like the entire rest of the day. Uh, but I've, I've tried to, you know, do get tools, find tools, find resources, ways to, um, you know, make it less, make, make things a little bit easier for myself. And this whole podcast for everybody listening, we have lots of those, lots of episodes dedicated to that. So if this is your first episode, go back and check it out. Um, I do want to get into, and I know we're probably skipping a ton of steps, but I have so many questions and I want to hit so many things. But once we start talking about infertility, I know some of the big um, procedures that most of us know about are like IVF as one of the big ones. And then I recently, I had a girlfriend go through IUI, which I had never heard of. And maybe you could just give us a little bit of background on these. And are these the first, is this like where you start? Are there other things that I'm missing? Like, just, just tell us like a little bit about these. Yeah. Very cool. I I think of like, if I'm seeing a new patient, I'm like, hey, I just need to learn your history a little bit and learn about your goals. And then we need to do testing. And when you come back and we're talking about the test results, the results might lead us in a certain direction. In general, there's kind of two types of fertility treatment, low-tech and high-tech. Low-tech is sort of working with your cycles, maybe giving you medications like Clomid or Letrozole that help you ovulate and doing like an IUI, intrauterine insemination, um, lovingly called turkey baster (laughs) by many of my patients. So just kind of washing the sperm and getting it into the uterine cavity around the time of ovulation. So this low-tech treatment, it's all happening kind of in your body. And and then there's high-tech treatment, which is I think of IVF, in vitro fertilization, and if you're doing that, you know, are you doing IVF with your eggs or are you doing it with donor eggs? You know, but I'm, I assume you're talking about using your eggs. Well, then you're basically stimulating the ovaries to recruit more eggs than they would typically ovulate on their own. You're getting the eggs out of the body. You're helping the eggs and sperm fertilize in the lab, in vitro fertilization, in the lab fertilization. That's where it gets its name. Instead of in the tube, it's in the lab. And then you know, you're know you watching the embryos grow and then you can either transfer them, you can do genetic screening on embryos to select ones that do that chromosome hmm. thing correctly to decrease the risk of miscarriage and, and maybe increase the chances of success with a single embryo transfer. Um, so all of that is kind of the high-tech stuff. And 
how you decide between low tech and high tech. I mean, when I first started, the success rates with IVF weren't that fantastic and it was so expensive that very typically people would, no matter who they were, what their goals were, what their age were, they would always start with IUIs and everybody would do three to four IUIs. And only if they didn't get pregnant with IUI would they begrudgingly get dragged to do IVF because, you know, it's, was just the, that's the way it was. Now, you know, IVF is so successful, and um, you know, you talk to patients about their goals. If someone comes to me and they are in their forties and they're ready to start their family, and they want two or three kids. Well, they should probably consider just going straight to IVF because it's not only the fastest way to most likely have a baby now, but you also can use it as a form of fertility preservation. Because in the process, if you have more than one embryo that's frozen, they're waiting for you and you can come back at 42, 45, follow one of those embryos and add to Mm. your family. So it's not like, it's not like, oh, just easy peasy, just do IVF. But it's like, you have to take that person's goals and their personal situation into account. If someone comes to me and they're 30 and they've got PCOS and they're just not ovulating, do they need to do IVF? No. I mean, maybe they will. We'll talk about it. We talk about everything, but let's focus on the problem. Let's get that person to ovulate with, with some pills that are $5 <sighs> from Costco. And then maybe they just time intercourse correctly and they conceive. Yeah. Oh my God. This is like all so good to know. Um, one thing I did want to ask you, because this is something I don't think I realized until... Um, I had I had I started talking to friends who were going through these treatments. It's just how it, costly it is, and a lot of it. I, I don't think yes. a lot. Like I didn't realize like insurance doesn't necessarily like pay for any of this. W- like realistically, like what are we looking at? <laughs> just so in case somebody is like Absolutely. interested or wondering if this is like a a, a a situation that they might need to go a road they might need to go down. Absolutely. So you'll find the most common quoted cost for one IVF cycle to be twelve to fifteen thousand dollars, but that's not including everything. That's not including the medications, which can be, you know, two to five thousand dollars. It doesn't include the option of doing genetic screening on embryos, which can be another five thousand dollars. So realistically, I mean, it can get twenty, twenty-five thousand, um, and. Um, it is really important to figure out if you have coverage or not. You know, only 19 states mandate coverage for fertility, and every state is completely different. So sometimes that means, oh, they'll cover evaluation, um, and then other states will cover like a lot of treatment. And so you can go to resolve.org, which is a website. It's a nonprofit patient run fertility resource center. And they have a link and you can look up your state um, and see what's going on. I practice in Seattle, Washington. It is not a mandated state. I happen to work in a place where there's so many tech companies that a lot of my patients have coverage because they work at Microsoft and Amazon. But then I see like a school teacher or a nurse down the street and they don't have coverage because it's not mandated by the state. And so we're actually, we have legislation in front of the state of Washington this session to help with coverage. But right now we are not a mandated state. So um, don't make assumptions. And it's it, and even if your state doesn't mandate it, so I have so many patients that live in the state of Washington, but they still have coverage mm. through their employers, go to your HR and ask them because... Sometimes it's just not out there. Um, 
It's actually a great company recruitment tool. And there are definitely websites that out there like these companies have, you know, coverage. Starbucks, you know. Oh wow. Um, of course, Amazon, you know, um, so lots of you know, now the city of um, Seattle is starting to cover it. So it's happening. It's just not happening fast enough. But don't make assumptions because sometimes you have coverage. There's also um, fantastic fertility grants. I'm on the board of a fertility grant nonprofit called Baby Quest. Look it up. They give incredible, like full cycles with meds to people. Um, we've, we're over 100 babies so far. It's just an incredible thing. There's lots of fertility grants. People get really creative. One of my patients, and when she turned 30, she's like, don't give me you know, a gift. Here, go fund my egg freezing cycle. And people got really, really into it. So you can get creative. Gaps in the diet shouldn't be ignored. Over 97% of women aged 19 to 50 are not getting enough vitamin D from their diet, and 95% are not getting their recommended daily intake of key omega-3s. Ritual Essential for Women 18 Plus Multivitamin was formulated by exhaustive research to help fill those nutrient gaps in the diet of women ages 18 plus. It is formulated with nutrients to help support brain health, bone health, blood health, and provide antioxidant support. I first started taking Ritual Vitamins a few years ago. I'm a huge fan. I keep my bottle right next to my coffee pot in the morning so I know to take it first thing. And weirdly, that's like one of the things I love most about Ritual. You don't have to wait to take it with food so it's easy to remember. And I've been really good about taking it. It also has this like minty fresh flavor that is pleasant and just goes down smooth. It's not like taking some giant horse multivitamin that you kind of loathe taking. It's easy peasy. And the benefits are staggering. In a clinical trial, the essential for women 18 plus was shown to increase vitamin D levels by 43% and omega-3 DHA levels by 41% in 12 weeks. That's huge. Right now, Ritual is offering my listeners 10% off your first three months. Visit ritual.com slash BKP and turn healthy habits into a ritual. That's 10% off at ritual.com slash BKP. I've never heard of uh, the, the grants that you can get for this. That's actually amazing. And it is sad that states, you know, that, you know, this isn't covered and that all states are different and like, it's not like a just national policy. Um, I'm learning about all kinds of things like that. Like when it comes to like paid leave and maternity leave and all that stuff too, it's just like, wow, we have a long way to go. Um, yeah. Uh, I could talk about this for a very, very long time. I think this has been really, really helpful for anybody who is um, maybe experiencing this or curious about this infertility. I did before I let you go, I wanted to get into this topic a little bit uh, because it's not something we've talked about on this show. It's something I've seen a lot in my recent personal life. And after getting pregnant was something I was really, really scared about. It's just talking about miscarriages um, because damn, I mean being in my mid thirties, like I, I was thinking about it today because I knew I was talking to you and I've had eight friends get pregnant in the last year. And three of those friends had miscarriages, you know, like it was almost half. And I, I, I included myself in the eight. Um, 
I, I just, is that normal? Like, what is the average for miscarriages? How common are they? Like, just kind of maybe give us a little, a little briefing. Miscarriage is so much more common than people realize. It will occur in one in four clinically recognized pregnancies. And that does not include people that have a positive pregnancy test and a period that's a few days late. Um, that's considered a biochemical miscarriage, but that is still a miscarriage. That is still egg and sperm fertilized, implantation happened, pregnancy hormone was in your system, and it is still a loss. So it's even higher than you know one in four. And honestly, as we get closer to 40 and over 40, it's, it's even higher because it goes back to that chromosome issue and the eggs and sperm. And um, it's a natural part of human reproduction. It's, this is a scientific way of saying that something that is really, really crappy. And I want to say shitty. I'm just <laughs> going to say shitty. I think I can oh. say that on your... For something yeah. that is so awful... Um, it's actually a natural part of reproduction. Just not every embryo is going to be a baby, no matter how hard that hurts. And we need to talk about this because I am so sick of women blaming themselves for miscarriage because we don't talk about it because it happens before the end of the first trimester. And so, you know, we're as a medical doctor, I was told to tell my patients, oh, tell them not to tell anybody until after the first trimester, just in case. Just in case of what? Well, just in case it miscarries, you know, because it's so, you know, it's uncomfortable for other people to hear about and it's uncomfortable for them to share. So when you need that support, you haven't shared it with people. So we have got to get rid of that. And of course, if you don't want to share, I mean, that's your personal, you know, that's totally fine for you. But if we don't talk about it, then when it happens to us, we don't realize how common it is. And it's, it's usually... My patients who have a miscarriage and then they come back to me and they're like, oh my God, I told my family and my mom had one, my sister had two, you know, my aunt had one, all my friends have had one. Why did nobody talk to me about this before? Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm shocked at how, how common it is. And you're right, like the whole, I hadn't thought about it that way. Like the whole, you keeping it a secret for the first trimester in the long run can kind of like, it does kind of isolate you and in a way where if it does happen that way, like you have less people to talk about. I remember like being in my first trimester, one being like incredibly anxious um, and not really being able to like tell a lot of the people that were around me. Like I told like some of my like very close best friends and like my parents, obviously, but like people I see on the day to day, like my, my friends um, in town, like I didn't know I was pregnant and I was going through so much. And then it, it's like a weird, it's a yeah. weird thing that we don't uh, talk about it more, you know? Yeah. But it's also hard too, because when you do share, share, people say really awful things sometimes, you know, so, you know, they are trying to help, but they try to give advice or they ask you what you did wrong, you know, to cause the miscarriage. Um, they, you know, share other people's stories like, oh, so you had a biochemical miscarriage. You were only a week along. Were you even pregnant? You know, like my friend, you know, had a, a miscarriage in her second trimester. So, you know, that was really bad, but what you went through, you know, so just dismissive comments and you're trying to help, but sometimes, you know, we, we just need to say, I'm sorry. And that's awful. And I'm here yeah. for you. I was going to ask you, like, what's a good way to support somebody who's going through that? And I'm sure it, I mean, it's, 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 horrible no matter when it happens in pregnancy. I've had friends miscarry at six weeks. I've had friends miscarry at 20 weeks. Um, yeah. 
you know, what can you do? Like that was like one of these situations with one of my friends. I was just like, wow, I really don't even know what to do like for her at this stage. Like, well, you know what? Yeah, you can say that. So I have a YouTube video on this. It's like five things you can just say to somebody who has a miscarriage. I'm sorry. Just leave it at that. Like, that's awful. Validate how hard it is. I don't know what to say. Like, it's okay to kind of say that. And then you can say, you know, if someone's really going through deep grief, if you say, how are you? That can be overwhelming. Mm. If you just add today, how are you today? It's so much less overwhelming. And then the fifth thing is like, sometimes they just need space. So give them space if they don't want to talk about it, but don't forget about them. You know, send a little text message. I'm thinking about you. I'm here. If you want to do something, you don't need to reply to this. So it's just, you know, you don't have to fix them. You don't have to give advice. I mean, if they ask you something, like maybe share, but all you have to really do is say, I'm sorry, and I'm here for you. Yeah, I think that's that's good to hear. Um, I was going to ask, because this is, we, we brought this up and and you're right. Like, I hate the notion of like, is there something that you did to cause this miscarriage because it's like it's like placing blame um but i'm curious like is there anything that can happen in your in your no first trimester of pregnancy that can uh, affect your your chance of miscarriage just so we know sure so absolutely the most common cause of first trimester miscarriage is a chromosome issue within the embryo it is not the person that is pregnant and it's important if you've had more than one miscarriage to get an evaluation and make sure you're not missing an anatomic issue or a hormonal issue or something that could put you at increased risk of miscarriage. But the title of my book on miscarriage is Not Broken. I am so tired of people coming to me saying, I'm broken. This is my fault. This baby has got to be perfect and it's got to be something I'm doing wrong. It is not that glass of wine you had before you knew you were pregnant. It is not intercourse, you know, the day before you went into the ultrasound and found no heartbeat. Um, it is just so common that it's an issue with an embryo and, and people say, oh, but they, you know, they tested the miscarriage and the chromosomes were fine. Well, there still can be genetic things that we can't test for. Most people that have a miscarriage go on to get pregnant without any intervention. What changed? It's not the person that's getting pregnant that changed. It's a new embryo. It's a new egg. It's a new sperm. It's a new opportunity. So stop blaming yourself. You are such easy targets because when you don't have the answer, you start restricting and sort of saying like, oh, well, if I just, you know, don't do this exercise or I'm a, I eat well and you start labeling food good and bad, it's just, you know, we're, we're our own easy targets and, and it's okay to do that. Like I'm not saying, oh my gosh, you know, I'm not, saying, oh, you can't blame yourself. It's it's a coping mm. mechanism. So recognize that as like, oh, yes, I know. Actually, it's not something that's that much in my control, but I am going to try to be healthy. I'm going to try to take care of myself. I'm going to take care of my mental health. And when I'm ready, I'm going to try again. And the most likely outcome the next time you try again is hmm. you have a baby. I love to hear that. And you're right. I, I, I it is it is I wonder if it's like a, me a mechanism for like just trying to control the situation. Like 
I was so, uh, yeah, ding, I was ding, ding. so overly careful in my first trimester. Like I remember I took a pregnancy test and then I had a berries class like scheduled the next, the next day after I found out I was pregnant and I walked the whole berries class. Like I barely like lifted a weight. <laughs> I was terrified and I canceled my membership. Like right after I was like, I don't want to do anything strenuous, but like, it's just, yeah. it, it's, you know, yeah. That's normal. That's totally normal. But like also gently moving your body is like really good for for everything yeah. too. So, yeah. you know, balance. Yeah, I was balance. just driving. I drove myself nuts. And I feel like a lot of people do that because it is, it's scary. Totally yeah. normal. Um, And I, I do want to share, like I was going to ask you if having one miscarriage means anything for your, for your future pregnancies. Because I have heard if you miscarry before that it, it can, um, it can, I'll just ask you instead of me trying to guess. <laughs> oh yeah, no. Um, so one way to think about it is, um, okay, it's awful that you had a miscarriage, but um, think about all the things that went right. You ovulated, egg and sperm liked each other, fertilization happened, implantation happened. And okay, if it really was an embryo issue, then the next time that you try, it's like a whole new opportunity. Um, you know, don't, don't not get an evaluation and ask questions if there are, you know, thyroid issues or, you know, um, anatomic issues or something that you can control. But there are positive things about the ability that you were able to get pregnant, that there's a lot of hurdles that you did get over. Yes, I think that's such a good thing to, to note um, for sure. Like you were able to get pregnant, like that's huge. That's awesome. Um, yep. and I will share my, my, of my three friends that had miscarriages, two are pregnant and my, the other one's just not trying <laughs> right now. Um, and they're, and they're oh. far along in their pregnancies. They're doing great. Everything is awesome. So, you know, for anybody, mm. yeah, thanks for sharing I, I think, that. That's yeah. really hopeful. I want more people to know that like, it, just cause you get a miscarriage doesn't mean like it's, you know, it's game over for you. <laughs> uh, yeah. exactly. Uh, I did want to ask, cause I know. I, and you're such a great resource out there. And we're obviously, I want you to like share where we can find more of you. And you've been through this process where you've had the anxiety, you know, you've, you've, you've been through some fertility issues and all of this. Like, was there any resource that you turned to or anything that you found um, to be particularly helpful when you were going through it? Um, You know, my kids are 11 and 15. And so there really wasn't like, Instagram or even like a powerful network on the internet that there is today. So I, you know, fortunately had colleagues and friends and family that were amazingly supportive and a partner. But there are resources out today that I wish I had. And part of it are some really great accounts on YouTube and Instagram and, you know, uh, my books that I've written. Um, other books, you know, my whole website, drlaurashaheen.com, it is just full of resources because there are good books out there now, you know, on PCOS and on endometriosis and miscarriage and um, and just like, I mean, I already mentioned her, but even Karen Jeffries on Hilariously Infertile, it is so lovely just to see these memes that she puts up where you just want to, it sucks so bad. Sometimes you just want to laugh, you know? Um, resolve.org is a very good resource. Um, and, you know, so pick and choose very carefully, you know, where you get your information. 
Um, read everything with a grain of salt, um, but there there are really great communities out so there. Awesome, and I want to I want to pimp you out too because you are you have such incredible information out there. If our audience wants more from you, where can we find you? Thank you. So, drlaurashaheen.com is my website, um, and I am literally on every social media platform because I just love educating and and I'm trying to educate people where they are. So. I'm not doing as many like academic research trials as I used to. I'm doing more YouTube videos, but it's it's at Dr. Laura Shaheen on Instagram, YouTube, TikTok. Um, I think I'm actually the first fertility doctor on TikTok. <laughs> I was gonna um, say I'm impressed. The OG, I'm impressed. like I'm barely on TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> it's so fun. It's a creative outlet for me, and especially in quarantine. Um, and I just, um, I want people to get this message. There's too many people that feel alone, feel broken, feel like infertility and miscarriage is their fault and they need to find that community that supports 100%. them. Well, Laura, thank you so much for being on today. We really appreciate having you here today. Thank you so much. I thank you so much for having me, Sarah. This was amazing. And, um, you know, this is really a big problem, right? So thank you for highlighting it. (laughs) Okay. That is a wrap on our episode this week. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did remember to hit that subscribe button and leave a nice little five-star review for this podcast, maybe send it to a friend who you think might enjoy the show. I mean, your reviews and you passing along this podcast is what keeps us running. So thank you. If you want more from me, you can follow me on Big Kid Problems on Instagram and on my personal account at Sarah Merrill underscore Hall. Oh, also, you can check out my brand new pregnancy podcast called Bottle Service. Many of you know I'm actually pregnant right now. And this new show goes through pregnancy week by week with me and actually gives a ton of information. It's kind of like getting the inside scoop from your pregnant best friend who will tell you all the shit no one else will about what pregnancy is really like. It's a lot of fun and actually really informative. So check it out. As always, I want to thank our sponsors for making this show possible. I've linked all our discounts and everything else you could want from this episode in our show notes. So make sure to check that out. And finally, I want to thank you for tuning in and supporting this show. There's a lot of ways you could be spending your time right now. So I really do appreciate you spending it with me. And with that, I hope you guys have an awesome week and I will see you next Tuesday. Tuesday.